Hello and welcome to Something to Do with Art with me, Robert Good. In this episode, I meet up with artist B.A. Zanderton to talk about her love of concrete. I want to find out what it is about concrete that captures her imagination. Barbara Zanderton studied at Chelsea College of Art and Design, and her artwork documents places and spaces, and she often makes booklets or pamphlets that contain diagrams, drawings, lists and tables with data about her chosen subjects. She has spent several years researching and documenting the history and fabrication of the South Bank Centre in London, which is a vast complex of concrete and is the largest centre for the arts in Europe. I also know that Barbara likes to collect unusual items, and I have a feeling that she even has a collection of hubcaps. So I want to find out what she does with the things that she finds, and why she makes the art that she does. We begin our conversation at Barbara's studio in South London, and then pay a visit to the Southbank Centre. So join me for this edition of Something to Do with Art, and let's see where today's conversation might take us. Right, hello Barbara. Hello Barbara. <laughs> Does anyone ever call you Barb? <laughs> Why did I even say that? Well, funny enough, that was going to be my first question. Uh, I was going to say welcome to my podcast. And, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and I was going to say before we go much further, is it okay if I call you Barbara? Yes, you may call me Barbara. Because I know that your stage name, so to speak, is B.A. Zanderton, so yes. maybe I should refer to you as BA, you know, good morning BA. No, Barbara. <laughs> so why do you choose BA Zanderton for your um, stage presence, as it were, your artistic name, would you say? I don't like the name Barbara particularly, and I like my initials. Oh, right. Bans. I like my surname quite a lot. Uh-huh. So I just prefer that. What, Zanderton, what is it about Zanderton that uh, does it well, for you? Well, it's an unusual name, uh-huh. and I just, it's an interesting name. It is. It is. has a certain zip to it. Yeah. A little bit of a ring. Yeah. Turn about good. I'm not sure whether good is a good a good name to be having, but uh, maybe it comes burdened with lots of uh, freight. So this is my first podcast, anyway. So you're my uh, my first um, well guinea pig. We were saying, wasn't it? Um, yes. What do you think about my idea for doing a podcast? Do you think that's uh, a good idea? I think it's really interesting because you're not going to be interviewing super famous people, probably. And so you're going to be... Maybe. You might. (laughs) But you also, you have a wide range of people. And some people who, like me, don't have a presence particularly, but work at their art. And so it's about engaging with making, Yeah, I think. I think so. I'm I'm intrigued to find out what makes artists tick and to get a flavour of not only what they're doing, but why they're doing it, and the, the energy around it, and what, uh, and what they, uh, yeah, what they, what they're, why, why they're doing it. But do you think there are any questions particularly that I should be asking you? Maybe that's something you can be thinking about. No, because I think the questions I would think you should ask me would probably be boring. You bear in mind they came to this late in life. 
<laughs> so in although I'm 75, I'm like somebody who's 30. Right, right. In terms of how long I've been doing this. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. Does that kind of... How does that influence what you do, or does it? Does it? So this is what I think is interesting. I have a pension, mm-hmm. and I don't need to work. Mm-hmm. I'm not well off, but I don't need to work. And my young friends, who I was at art college with, need to make a living. Some of them are figuring out how to stay in the world of art, and some of them aren't. So I have the luxury of being able to play around and make work. I don't feel a necessity to sell anything or do something that is going to... I don't need to exhibit particularly, but I think that's a double-edged sword because it also means that you can be very self-indulgent and not particularly ambitious for yourself. And And I think about that. I think about that more recently. Are you ambitious for yourself, do you think? No, I don't think so. And I've been thinking about that a lot because there's a lot of stuff about young <clears throat> me too and empowering women. And I'm thinking back to when I was growing up and when I was prepubescent, being very aware that the little boys were being taught to be confident and the little girls weren't. And I was aware of that when I was 10 years old, that... I wasn't being invited to have a kind of confidence that was assumed all the boys in the street would have. Now, I don't know how injurious that is to little boys, but it certainly affects the way women of my generation must have seen themselves. So I've been thinking about that. Do you not think that uh, all artists secretly have got this kind of little drive to uh, go, ta-da, here's me through my artwork, this is what I'm doing? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that because my route to making art has been so unconventional and I didn't ever think I could be an artist because I couldn't draw very pretty nice pictures when I was... In the 50s, you had to make nice drawings to be an artist. And I couldn't do, I didn't do that. So I never thought of myself as being able to be an artist. And I did always have portfolio envy. So if I saw people walking through the streets with a big art portfolio, I would be so jealous of them. Bizarrely. I mean, you know, because I didn't, I didn't know what I would put in a portfolio. I just thought, oh, they've got a portfolio. Aren't they lucky? They've got something interesting in there. So it was, um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ask me another question. Ask you another question. (laughs) Now, the reason that I'm here today, or one of the many reasons that I'm here today, is apart from that you're a super interesting person, is that I'm intrigued by your love of concrete. So that's where the trajectory of this is is heading. But before we do that, I was going to ask you, um, that wasn't how how we met or how we first, do you remember how we we first met and uh, how I got to know you? We were the only two not committed Marxists at a conference about diagrams. And so we were like two very naughty children giggling in the third row. We were, weren't we? We were, we were, why did you attend that conference on diagrams? Oh, because diagrams interested me, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Because probably I'd worked for years in a corporate environment and I would 
I did a lot of um, facilitation and workshops and I worked in marketing and you're always making diagrams and it interested me and I was moving over into art. So it was like it, it, interesting to me the things that migrated with me from having worked in the corporate world into making art actually. Yeah. But I've always been intrigued by diagrams I think. And did you find the conference, uh, well, we were, as you say, we were kind of, uh, we were the only two who weren't Marxist there. What, how did that manifest itself? I can't remember. Well, I think some of the speakers were very um, rigorous in the way they interpreted what they were doing in, in the theoretical Marxism. And you then got up and, and talked about one of your funny little diagrams. It was hilarious because it was just cut, undercut everything that else and it was very funny, your little presentation. Well, I'm glad you say that. I don't know if it went down very well because it, it was uh, it was a little bit different to the other offerings, but it was a spontaneous response. I think I was I think I was diagramming a Rolling Stones song, wasn't it? Yes, you uh, were. I I can't get. Can you get no satisfaction? Yes or no? And if yes, have you tried? If no, have you tried driving in your car? And uh, if yes, have you tried? Um, I can't remember the rest it of the song. It was very funny. Anyway. But y'all saying that reminds me that one of the really interesting presentations was somebody who diagrammed a medieval religious painting. Mm -hmm. And it was like a revelation to me that I could understand this painting through this process of, of diagramming it. And I can't remember what he said. I don't remember the, the talk. But I remember thinking, this makes sense of this art to me. Because it was kind of he explained it and he didn't talk about the religion he talked about the placement of things the kind of what was at the top what was on the sides what was at the bottom what people were standing how they were relating to each other who was looking at whom and it was fascinating hmm funny how things kind of come back to your yeah. your so uh, what I wanted to do was I was going to read you a little bit of your biography your <laughs> Why Why are you wincing? <laughs> um, and, well, because my listeners don't know a lot about you. I haven't introduced you very properly yet. So I thought maybe that would be a, a way to, to introduce you to them. Fine. Okay, here we go. B.A. Zanderton is a London-based artist and writer. She received her B.A.F.A. from Chelsea College of Art and Design in 2011. She makes work in and about spaces in response to things she finds and is interested in how we collect and codify. Her responses frequently rely on archival methodologies resulting in work that documents her research activities. Dun, dun, dun. What does that actually mean, would you say? One of the things that interests me is what's lost and abandoned and left behind and the things that people overlook and the significance of the overlooked because it's a piece of something more important. I have a box in this studio that has fragments of famous buildings in it. Really? Yep. Ooh. I just can't remember Such, where. such as what, which, which famous buildings? Well, is that not a capital offence? Could you not still be kind yeah, of? But if you're upstairs in the in um, Westminster Abbey and you run your finger along the seam between two stones and a bit of mortar comes out off on your finger, what have you got? 
You haven't stolen anything. It's just a bit of loose mortar that next time the cleaners came and brushed it down would have gone. So what do you then do with that little bit of stuff on the end of your finger? Well, I I collected a bunch of things and I thought, oh, this is... I started collecting... Well, it started in the Tate Modern in the Blavatsky building where I was just idly rubbing, running my hand along and I ended up with a piece of... (laughs) a little bit of crumb of concrete in my hand and I thought, oh... This is a piece of the Tate Modern, the new Tate Modern. And then we were down in the um, oil tanks and I just idly rubbed my hand along and I found I had a piece of that. It's just a crumb because it's just loose and it just comes off. And um, and I thought, oh, this is interesting. And I realized I had a few other things. I have a bit of paving stone from outside the Royal Festival Hall for when they reinstall that fountain sculpture every summer. They were digging it up. They were installing it. And I went past and I said, ooh, could I have a bit of that broken paving stone? And he said, what for? And I said, oh, I'm an artist. (laughs) Say, I'm an artist to people. They just don't ask you any more questions because clearly that's, you're a lunatic and it's beyond comprehension. Um, So do you think if you hadn't have been an artist, he'd have said, no, you can't have that little broken bit of pavement? I think he might have made a judgment i said and he gave me a a piece because i asked him for a tiny piece and he gave me some nice little chunk and i said do you happen to know if this is one of the original paving stones or a replacement he said i think that's one of the original ones because a lot of them have been replaced i think now i really do need to know what you've done with these little bits of of what, how, what would you describe them of the, the residue right. on your finger? Did you do you are they in little files or kind of test do you tubes? Want to stop, or do you want to listen to me rummage? No, you might as well. You might, we might as well have a little bit of ambient sound whilst you rummage. Okay. Well, um, no, that's my studio. That's not yet. Where have I put these things? No idea what that is. This is a completely undocumented box. I have no idea. I know what some of these things are. I know where some of these things came from, but the others I have no idea. Maybe these are in one of the sketchbooks. Um, found objects drawing book. This is drawings from different places with found objects, things I found. And you have made that particular, what is that particular drawing of? Can you describe it? God knows what it is. What was it? I don't know what that is. It's got a code name. H402. Well, there must not be H402. Um, rusted metal. 85 millimeters by 57 millimeters by 74 millimeters, double curve, collected 3 2 14 at 4 p.m. on network rail land in Hastings. So it was on a railway track, so presumably, well, it was something to do with track or and the, railway carriage. 
Yes, it looks like um, possibly a, a clasp that would have gone yeah. around the, the rail itself. I'm yeah, not an it does engineer. Look like that, doesn't but, it? but what strikes me about that is that you've made it a very beautiful drawing. It's a very, isn't it though? It's, yes. it's very lovingly described and, and documented, but there's a real sense of a, a feel of the texture and of the shape and um, a presence about it. Yep, there is. They're not all as lovely. See, now that was just a paintbrush I found on the ground. I, I, if I were going to psychoanalyze myself, I would tell you I'm interested in the overlooked because I felt over. I felt overlooked. I think this work is very autobiographical. Uh huh. Okay, and I when I um when I started writing poetry, I, I influenced by Anne Sexton and Robert Lowell and those people who wrote very um, confessional poetry. I used to write very confessional, personal poetry, and then I just felt too uncomfortable with that and stopped doing it. And I still write poetry, but it's usually much more observational now. Um, but I th And I thought a lot about this art and why I was so fascinated by flotsam and jetsam and things I pick up in the street. That's a good word, although a good way of describing it. Flotsam yeah. and the, the discards. And I thought maybe it's because, and I thought maybe because when I was a child, I felt I was very shy and I felt very um, alone sometimes. And I felt, I know I wasn't overlooked, but I felt overlooked. There's a big, you know, the thing about wow, who you are and how you're perceived and how you feel and the disconnect can be, which I think I had when I was a child. So I think they're just... That's partly what it's about. But these things are very beautiful too, you know. Oh, well, I, a lot of these things are very beautiful. Okay. I mean, uh, well, that was definitely on my list of things to ask you because I, I would have thought, and certainly for me, concrete and, and little bits of stone and so on are not inherently beautiful. But I know that for you, they do have an aesthetic quality to them, don't they? Yes, I, um, if, oh, let me see, I just want to see if I can find you, what the heck is this? I was rather hoping you say that uh, it's not beautiful, because then I could come back to you with a killer quote, which I'm going to, I'm going to share with you anyway, <laughs> because, because uh, you might like it. Um, All profoundly original art looks ugly at first. There you go. Who said that? I have no idea. Picasso? No. Clement Greenberg. Oh, yeah. Okay. Controversial man. Yes, very controversial. <laughs> I don't know. Well, maybe, maybe we won't go down that particular avenue just, just at the moment. What is this? Why do I have this in this song? I'm not sure. I can't believe I didn't document this, so I don't know what this is. That was very remiss of me. So is there a sense of... of um, orphanage in, in all of this there's a, there's almost a feeling of, of rehoming things or acknowledging things okay you want to know where the concrete was <laughs> that's from the Blavatnik building so what I have in my hand here is a little jam jar yeah it's one of those little marmalade individual portion ones that you get at a hotel uh, Wilkin and Sons Tip Tree Essex and inside Oh, there's like a tiny, it's like a tiny forensic sample. And it says, found concrete fragment, Blavatnik building, 
level two. And this is from the tanks. I knew and I this one's from the tanks. So this yeah. is another one. Oh, this is a Mrs. Bridges. <laughs> and inside there, well, there's just, there's just a tiny speck of, of virtually nothing. Okay. We got another one. Well, this is just says South Bank concrete dust behind QEH collected autumn 2015. Now, I'll be honest, this just you could just be having me on here. This could just have come straight out of your <laughs> you could have, you could have stepped out of your back out of your back door and the first thing you came across, a little bit of dust, stick it in a jam jar. This is the frag. This is this must be the original because really have wow. the new ones are concrete. Now this is now this is the real deal. I think. Yeah. I mean, I'm not used to this audio format. I mean, sort of trying to describe all of these things. I don't know if I'm over describing here, but compared to the last few pieces, which were literally but less than the size of a flea. I mean, there was just a speck of nothing in <laughs> yes. those. Jam and now I've got this great slab which says Paving Stone South Bank. That, oh, this was the one that you asked permission yeah. for. Yeah. Acquired from workmen installing. Something rooms, two thousand eighteen. Right rooms. now we're getting to the heart of it. So, why concrete? I don't know. It's just like when you look at it, it looks like one thing, and when you make a rubbing of it, you get these beautiful textures. The surfaces are lovely. Okay. How tactile are you? I think that's to do with it. When I look at something, I sometimes feel it inside my the space of my body. So I may, and maybe some people don't, you know. I think that's something to do with it, is my physiological reaction to material in space. I kind of feel it. And I think, well, you know, if you're looking at something and your response is to something entirely different about that object, you're going to be making work and thinking about it in an entirely different way. So you have a, a kind of a felt response to yes. it. Yes, yes. Of... So when people write, when you read funny news stories about people who marry buildings, I think that is crazy, but there's a part of me that probably gets that. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't do it, but I, there's a part of me that thinks, hmm, that's a kind of the extreme of me, really. And that's kind of what my work is about. It's the fact that these things in their world are important and significant, and people just disregard them because they have other concerns. Look, if it's kind of, it stands for the thing. So that crumbs, I don't know where my crumbs of Westminster Abbey are, they're in here somewhere. But those crumbs of Westminster, you can go, you can spend, 20, you can pay 20 pounds and go see Westminster Abbey and just gasp at the gorgeousness of it and the beautiful stonework and the artwork and the tombs of the famous people and, you know, the kind of its place in the history and the traditions of this country. And you can take a tiny little crumb and you can say, that matters because it's a piece of the whole that keeps that thing up. Except that it doesn't because it's in fallen my, down. Yeah, but it's just mortar and they have to replace the mortar every now and then. 
Okay, so we have come to the part of this little chat where I share with you some little bits of research that I have done on the subject of concrete. And I confess I haven't been much further than Wikipedia, but Wikipedia, bless it, has got some what I consider rather lovely things in it about concrete. So I thought I'd share a few with, with you. Okay. Did you know the word cementitious no so to describe cement so concrete that's got cement in is cementitious isn't that lovely isn't that a fantastic word yes is i mean i don't see what's wrong with cementy but cementitious apparently is the word that you want to be going with for that okay so that's number one okay and then i came across a whole world of super plasticizers and pozzolans. What are pozzolans? Well, um, they're additives that you put into concrete mix. And what does it do to the concrete? Ah, oh, that's um, you're hit, I'm hitting the end of the road here. We'd have to we'd have to dig a little bit further. But I just it just caught my eye the the a pozzolan or maybe pozzolans is is plural, but they're additives, and workability of concrete can be measured by plasticity. The concrete slump test. Okay. So I like the idea of concrete slumping. So there were quite a few things in there that kind of caught my eye. And I was also taken by the fact that apparently, and I didn't know this, the Colosseum in Rome was largely yes. built of concrete. Yes. And the concrete dome of the Pantheon is the world's largest unreinforced concrete dome. Okay. Okay, moving on. I think this is an association that you should consider joining. The International Grooving and Grinding Association. <laughs> what do they do? You like that? I love that. The International Grooving and Grinding Association is a non-profit trade association founded in 1972 that represents the industry that performs grooving and grinding of both concrete and asphalt surfaces. That's quite specific, isn't it? It is. Because they don't groove and grind masonry stone. Mason, they oh, just... well, it does say in addition to concrete pavement restoration, brackets, okay. CPR, and concrete pavement preservation, ah. brackets, CPP. Uh-huh. So there's a whole world of concrete out there. Can I tempt you with the world of concrete? Yes, tempt me. Okay, so that is an annual trade show for the commercial construction industry. And it's held every year in Las Vegas. <gasps> I could go to Las Vegas. You could. I've got one question that I would also like to ask you, um, which um, I seem to remember that at one point you told me, did you or did you not, that you collect... Um, hubcaps. I did. I stopped. Please tell me about your hubcap collection. Well, I walked from my house to Chelsea College about every day and I noticed the hubcaps and they were nice. What? I mean, I were these them. attached to the cars at the no, time? No, no, they were lying <laughs> on the side of the road. And um, I used to pick them up, to the horror of my husband, 
and I, st I made a series of paintings of hubcaps as well, upstairs in the living room. And um, they just fascinated me. But I kind of stopped when people started bringing me hubcaps to my studio at college. I kind of thought, this is getting out of control. So I stopped. And I used to, years ago, when I lived in North London, there was, there was a, a, a journey I used to take up a very funny little hill between from my way from Crouch End to Highgate or somewhere across North London. And you went past this person's living room and the, they always had a light on and there was one entire wall that was covered in a hubcap collection. Really? Yes. So there are hubcap collectors? Absolutely. So did you call in? No. Oh. No, mine were always grubby and dirty and very rarely do you find a metal one anymore. They're all plastic now. And so I just was fascinated by them. I don't know why. They were just interesting. Well, they're interesting because they'd be lying there and the inside would be dirty and so there will be all these different colors and they were often broken. Sort of partial hubcap. <laughs> it's this same repeating um, motif, isn't it, of, of, of picking up the discarded, yeah. the, the unloved, the broken the fragmentary um, and the need to rehabilitate it somehow? I guess. So we are standing outside the South Bank Centre in front of a little hobbit door that looks to me like a place where uh, a hobbit might live. Um, Barbara, do you want to tell us a little bit about what we're looking at? Uh, it's an access door. I think Simon and I assumed it was for electrics or something. So it's just access to some of the gubbins inside the building. Yeah, so you were saying that this is your favourite place at the South Bank, certainly for your um, project in which you documented the, the concrete formwork and the uh, structure of the South Bank. And what, what is it that drew you to it? What is it about this that makes it your, your number one in the hit parade? I think because it was very, it's quite quiet here and it's quite, it's just a bit of the back of the building and next to it are wooden lathes that hide an exterior staircase, um, which presumably when they first built the building would have been op exposed and open to the public. And a lot of this formwork was done in situ, so the carpenters would have been building it on site and they really were making this building. And so what actually does formwork mean? Um, formwork is the mould that you pour the concrete into. It's incredible to think that, I mean, all, all construction to me is, is, a, is a, in some ways a work of art. It's, a, it's amazing that anything gets to be as big and as tall and as, as uh, uh, solid as it is. But when then you add on to it that people were making wooden casts into which the concrete was poured, it just adds a layer of complexity that is, is really quite mind-boggling. Yeah. When you read the um, documentation, absolutely everything, down to exactly where the clay, was it clay, the China clay was coming from, where the aggregate was coming from, 
how large the aggregate could be, the little bits of stone and pebble, how big they could be, and they couldn't be any bigger and they couldn't be any smaller. Just amazing, kind of loving care. When you look at a steel and glass building, you don't see the earth from which it's made in the same way you do when you look at a concrete building and you see the stones. And if you put, if you, if you run your hand along the, along them, you feel the stones, you feel the texture, you feel the minerals and the earth from which it is made. You read my mind. I was just about to say, I think um, that we need to go and actually um, touch it and feel the physicality of it. So let's just go and uh, see what it feels like. This is just rough, quite rough aggregate. You can see what I like about this. This is the frame of the door and it just looks like a frame. Um, uh, but you can see the stones in it and the stones are white and different shades of gray and brown and some are quite bright yellow and some are um, quite sort of soft different shades of beige and then next to it is the stuff that was made in the wood and um, at the workshop a man came to my workshop who was blind he was legally blind and he was doing a rubbing and I was sat down, he had his kids with him and we were talking about doing the rubbings and he said to me, what you see when I do this rubbing is what I feel when I run my hand along this surface. It was like he kind of explained it to me how it works, that was fascinating. I don't think I'm ever going to quite look at a concrete building in the same way again. I, my work here is done, is what I feel I ought to say at this point. <laughs> yeah. Time for a cup of tea and to say thank you very much. Thank you. This has been fun. And it's made me think about things about my work and how I work that I hadn't really um, given much consideration to. So I found it very helpful. Well, that's interesting, and thank you, because I think that's part of what art does, isn't it? It really does. I know it's a cliche, but it opens people's eyes. It opened my eyes to concrete, and you, it's opened your eyes to your own work. Yes, it has. Thank you very much, Robert. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Something to Do with Art. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback via social media, so please check out the podcast notes for links and further info. Many thanks to Beric Livingstone for the music, Danielle Blyde for logo design, and to everyone who has taken part and helped me with this project. That's it for this episode. I hope to catch up with you again soon.